This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back on a Wednesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined by a first-timer from Peachtree Hoops and the Step Back. It is Zach Hood. Zach, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing all right, man. How are you? Pretty pretty solid. I'm doing as well as Trey Young is doing at drawing fouls in very, very pestery, annoying fashion. You're doing pretty good then. I know. I so I'm assuming you're like me and you've watched every Hawks game. As two Hawks fans, we have to we have to just kind of talk about them at the top because they're not on our show sheet. But I feel like if I'm going to talk about the NBA every week, then I need to talk about what I'm seeing with the Hawks. Um, I am absolutely floored at what DeAndre Hunter is this year. Like I cannot believe what I'm watching. Are you the same way? Like that's my biggest surprise. Is not John Collins, not Boyan, not Trey, not Capella not even cam it's deandre hunter is like do i have to reevaluate what he's going to be as a pro um i would say you know i'm i'm surprised i guess at the confidence he's shown on offense right yeah. away i guess if he eventually became this player i wouldn't have been surprised because um he kind of has this reputation coming into the league as like an elite defensive prospect because mm-hmm. of his wingspan and stuff but if you actually throw on the tape of Virginia, I mean, you could easily argue he was also their best offensive player. So, And then as a rookie, I mean, he was a, almost a 36% three-point shooter and like a 38 three-point shooter in the second half. So while, I mean, right now he's shooting 49% from three. He's not going to do That's that. That's sustainable. He, he, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he's, he's hot right now. I mean, no one's going to shoot 49% from three on five attempts per game. So... I think just kind of accounting for like that the numbers are going to go down a little bit. I mean, I'm not shocked, I guess. The consistency is very impressive and maybe a little bit surprising, but honestly like if you just really think about, you know, all the tools that Hunter brought into the league and kind of some of the stuff he was showing last offseason, um it's not surprising that he came out and is scoring 16 points a game and getting 7 rebounds. The percentages are surprising. I mean, I would be very surprised if he was a 53% from the field and 49% from three. But just the overall um, uptick in production, I mean, you got to also consider he wasn't uh, a super young rookie. So, you know, he's yeah. 23 He's twenty three right now, So and he's a number four overall pick. So I wouldn't say shocked, but I would say um, the percentages are definitely – um surprising and also in the preseason i think he like led the hawks in scoring which i mean obviously it doesn't really mean anything but just for someone like that who's trying to prove themselves i think you can kind of look at the preseason now that he's translated it over to seven regular season games and see like okay now we have 11 games of this guy basically being the same player and uh, i think the consistency is honestly the most impressive thing for me 
Yeah, I'm excited. I, I'm very much excited. It's going to be a fun season. The Knicks loss was really bad. Bad Lloyd Pierce loss, but um, I think they're back to basically being where they're going to be for the rest of the season. They were not going to be number one offense, and I, I think they're getting a little bit better defensively, but I I think they're going to be around 500 by the end of the season, and that's about where they should be. Um, Paul George. I'm very excited to talk about Paul George because he's a very divisive figure. Devin Booker, <laughs> not a fan. Um, not a fan of Paul George, but he's off to a really strong start. Um, Kawhi playing with the face mask. Like the biggest change in front of the pod, Jonathan Sharks, the ringer, had a really good piece on this um, that I'm going to cite a lot when we talk about this because when you watch the Clippers this season, the biggest difference between what we saw last year where it was more of Pat Bev, more of Lou Williams, more of the, the holdovers from the pre-superstar era in Clipperland, um, playoff P is now getting the ball in his hands. He's doing the pick and rolls. He is able to actually be the lead dog that he hasn't been since really um, Indiana, and that has really unlocked the Clippers in a big ways. That the Lakers do this with AD and LeBron, and now they're letting Paul George do pick and rolls and with Zubac and different guys, and it's it's paying dividends. Um, he had 39, like he was 15 out of 24 shooting, four assists and two steals when they beat the Suns where him and Booker got into it. Um, he He's just different. And it's just, it's kind of cool to see because Paul George was like one of my favorite players before the Thunder trade. And I don't know. I think this is just, it's an interesting development and it's an important development for the Clippers because of how bad he was early on in the bubble and just how important he is in terms of whether or not they're going to make it out of the West is like Kawhi is a lot, but Kawhi is not enough um, to get through the Western Conference gauntlet. It has to be Kawhi and Paul George, and it has to be less Lou, less Trez who left, and less um, Pat Bev. Um, is that a fair, like a fair layout of what's happening in Los Angeles with Paul George this season? I mean, yeah, I think you definitely see a difference in Doc and, and Ty Lue. I mean, he is he does have the ball in his hands a little bit more. I mean, right now he's averaging a career high in assist. But I also think there's this thing with Paul George where he just plays really good at the beginning of every season, and then by the end of the season, his shoulders hurt. Um, I don't know if that'll happen this year, but he, he has two bad shoulders, and usually one of them is acting up by the playoffs. So... I don't know. I mean, he's he's also another guy like DeAndre Hunter. I mean, he's a career 38% three-point shooter, and right now he's shooting 49% from three. So he is kind of just hot. But you are right. He They have altered things. I mean, they have a new coach, and they have been putting the ball in his hands more, as they should. Uh, he's their second-best player. So I think, you know, there's some truth to what you're saying, but I also think he's just really hot right now. And he's healthy, which is – yeah, I mean, if you go, if you go back to the 2018 2019, his career season was actually playing alongside Russell Westbrook when he led the league in steals, scored 28 points a game, uh, also had a career high seven free throws a game that season. So really, I never worry about Paul George. I worry about Paul George being healthy. So I think the playoff P stuff. I mean, I honestly think it's like overplayed and overhyped because I think in a lot of these playoffs. He has been playing hurt, and he has not been the type of guy to make excuses. But if you actually go look at the timeline and go look at news reports uh, going backwards uh, in time, he has had surgery after the playoffs like three or four times. So I, I don't know. I mean, obviously there is something to where he he isn't 
quite the same in the playoffs some, and that might be a real thing where he he, he mentally um, isn't you know as comfortable on the big stage. But I also think the injuries have had a lot to do with uh, his performance tailing off at the end of some seasons. Um, are you at all concerned that the role players are getting phased out a little bit? That Beverly is averaging the fewest amount of shots in it um, since his rookie season at five point seven. Lou is down to number six to the on the team in touches at thirty five point seven percent. Are are you at all concerned that this is now just everything is going to rely on a healthy Paul George and a healthy Kawhi Leonard for them to get through it because the role players are c- kind of taking a major backseat now with Ty Lue running things. Yeah. I don't worry about Pat Beverly getting his shots at all. I mean, I really <laughs> wouldn't ever call a play, play for him really, unless the team was just completely ignoring him. And then if it was like, God, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give it to Pat Bev. So I think another thing that has kind of played into that and something that'll maybe, you know, I don't know, they're going to have to figure out. I mean, it's only been eight games or whatever, but they brought in Luke Kennard to kind of take the load off of Lou Williams on the second unit because Lou Will is um, he's getting up there. You know, he's not a young guy anymore. So it's kind of one of those things where I would expect Kennard to kind of do a lot in the regular season. But then once the playoffs come around, I, I do expect Lou to be kind of like like Rondo is on the Hawks right now. Like Rondo's missed more games than he's played. But if he's able to manage his health and the Hawks were able to make the playoffs, I think he's going to play a lot more than he was in the regular season on a per-game basis. So I'm not worried about Lou Williams. I think he kind of just wakes up and and gets buckets. But I think they're trying to – the Clippers are trying to avoid being hurt at the wrong time of the year. So I think, you know, they tried it last year, resting Kawhi a lot um, more than anyone else. And then Paul George – rested some too but this year i think they're trying to have um more diversity within their second unit because they lost trez and like last year their whole second unit was basically two guys as far as scoring it was trez and lou williams mm-hmm. and i think this year they're just more balanced on the second unit and well, like they're also said, letting paul george run it yeah no i mean so they're staggering pg and Kawhi a little bit throughout the game which i think is smart and then they are not like overworking Lou Williams and asking like a ton out of him early in a season when they had a. Sh- I think the short off season is also being underrated. Um, like if you go look at even like LeBron's numbers right now, I think he's only scoring like twenty two or twenty three a game. Mm. I haven't lo- I haven't looked since they played last night. But these older teams that played deep into the bubble are just like even the Miami. Like they're just not like ready to fire on all cylinders they need jimmy's averaging what like 10 a game right now yeah and he's missed some time too so like these veterans who got no off season i don't think it's fair and like i saw you know on the on we're going to talk about steph curry later yeah. i think it's curry is kind of different you know he had nine ten months off mm-hmm. and uh now he's the opposite he's like, Raymond, yeah yeah they looked rusty but now they look like maybe they're getting a little more comfortable so I think with the Clippers, like they're obviously winning games and playing really well, but I think with a new coach and a few new pieces, I think it's just too early to really decide like exactly what that team's going to look like in a playoff series. Yeah. I um I also think we have to mention that Batum and Ibaka look so much better for this group than what they were running out last year in their starting unit. Like Ibaka 
may have been like the best underrated signing of the offseason. Like people were gallivanting over Gasol in Los Angeles, but I think Ibaka and like what that's done to the Raptors a little bit, but like Ibaka is just going scorched earth with this group and his pick and pop game and just what he's doing and Batum just immediately sending the ball and like getting back to his old form a little bit in uh, Portland. Like he's just such a great passer and willing passer. And I don't know. It just seems like Ibaka is so much of a better fit for the Clippers unlocking PG and Kawhi in a better level than, um, than Trez was. Yeah. Well, Ibaka's way, um, way more of a complimentary player. Trez is out there looking for yeah his offense. He's an aggressive kind of puts a ton of pressure on the defense. Ibaka is just like, He'll shoot if you leave him open. If you give a big mismatch, he can do a quick post up. Uh, he's a, he's a, I wouldn't say he's not as good of a passer as Gasol, but you know he can do it. He can pass the ball. Uh, he's just a really good complimentary player, and he's a, a quality starting center. And the Clippers really didn't have that last year, especially if you're um, looking towards the playoffs. Like Zubox is is not a bad player, but in a playoff series, you're not always going to want him on the floor because he's not really like a a switchable defender. Uh, Abaka is just a lot more versatile. Obviously, you know, he's got a ring. Um, he's just more poised. He offers something that they didn't have last year. And, you know, I think it was definitely, you know, one of the bigger additions of the off season. I agree. I agree. Um, let's talk about the Warriors. I, um, I think they're going to be okay. Uh, this was always going to be a little bit more complicated with clay being out. Um, the jokes were made about Wiggins and Ubre and their shooting woes and some of the guys who were in the Warriors rotation early on and Steph just being depleted, having to do everything. Um, he's now having to become not James Harden, but Steph is going to have to create like the motion offense has to go away with no clay. Like if the Warriors are going to win basketball games, Steph has to go at a usage rate that's at an MVP level. And it seems like he's trying to do that more. He's keeping the ball in his hands more. He's like, all right, I guess I'm going to have to just do this. But Draymond picking up the defense and moving and put like Draymond pointing um, in Warriors games a bunch on offense is going to be my one of my favorite things to watch this year when I'm going through clips. Is just like Draymond being like, get the fuck over there and just like cut and everything. Like it's just it's going to be so much fun. Draymond is just going to be a delight this year, and he's in shape and. He is obviously changing things on that front, and we're going to see a lot of pick and rolls, I think, with Dre and Clay this year. And the drive and kick stuff is just how they're going to have to survive. And it seems like that is uh, a, a new brand of Warriors basketball. But I am—I don't know if you're like me, but I'm excited to see Steph go back to more of a ISO-heavy player that we haven't seen in a long time because, you know, I don't know how much longer we have left of Steph just being a player who can just go off for 62 and just affect the game in so many different ways and have the kind of gravity that he has. Um, he's getting up there and it's going to happen. He's going to become more of an off ball Ray Allen player at some point. Um, but I hope uh, we get a couple more years of this because Steph is just, he's so much fun, man. Yeah. Curry's awesome. I mean, I, I think, the first few games when people were like were starting to worry about him, I think was a little premature. Like you said, I mean, they did not plan or or really build this roster to not have Clay Thompson. Obviously, they were able to swing the Ubre trade once uh, they did know Clay was going to be out. But they're obviously going to have to reconsider, you know, how much they can run their old offense because while while Kelly Ubre has not been shooting well, I tend not to worry about him that much. Wiggins. 
it's just not good, even when he is making some shots. Uh, there's just so many parts of his game that really don't fit what the Warriors do. Mm. So he's not a good defender. Uh, he's not really like a good ball mover at all. Um, he has a tendency to take like dribble pull-ups and stuff. Like just stuff that kind of disrupts the flow of their offense. So I almost like – I know they kind of have to start Wiggins, but I, I almost think that they should just – like he should be the first sub and just play with the second unit because really the only thing he could do is score. And when you have Curry on the floor, you need people that are working to get Curry shots because I really don't think um, – Curry's gonna be like he'll, he'll never become close to um, having as many isolations as someone like Harden. Even even if they change the offense for everyone else, I still think the best thing for the Warriors again, and it's what they were doing in the sixty-two point game a lot, is you have four other guys just working as hard as they can to get Curry an open look, whether it's screening, um, passing and cutting. You know, Wiseman I think is really big for this. I think Wiseman. Um, while he's he maybe not would be the best player, um, best rookie uh, as a number two pick. You know, there's been number two picks that will produce more than he does as a rookie. Just his his gravity towards the rim and his size and his wingspan. Uh, you have to respect the lob, and so you're either gonna overcompensate for Curry and the lob's gonna be there, or you're gonna sink down in the paint and there's gonna be shots there for Curry or someone else. So it's just I think the Warriors. It's gonna be. Can other guys make enough shots? Because I think Curry, I mean, right now, because of the 62-point game, he's leading the league in scoring. It wouldn't surprise me, like you said, on this team. I mean, he could easily lead the league in scoring. I think uh, he's going to have to if they want to be a playoff team. I think he has to. He yeah. He has to be one-two, so, something like that. Like, they're just barring a, a crazy trade, like, the offense has to come from Curry, and he has to go no, nuclear for this season. Like, I think in that game on Sunday, he, yeah, he was 18-31, and uh, the rest of the team was 5-18 of 18 from three. Like, I think they're going to be a bottom half offensive team for the majority of the season. And the only way they're going to survive is, well, A, like top 10 defense and Draymond just busting his ass and Wiseman scaring the shit out of people. Um, and Ubre covering uh, team's best league guards. But um, I don't know. I think they're going to have to evolve. And I think I, I, I'm not as optimistic about Wiggins and Ubre shooting as you are. But I do think the Wiseman stuff is really fascinating and the gravity, like you said, that he pulls. Um, what do you think Wiseman's ups? Like, where do you, I don't know. Like, what were you high on him coming in? Like, do you think he is someone that can be like a top 20 player at some point? Or like, what do you think he is? Is he more Capella? Like, what what is Wiseman to you? I think he's more Capella, but I, he has tools that Capella doesn't have. I mean, he's bigger. He has like a seven six wingspan. So I think... Top 20 is probably reserved for someone like Jokic or Embiid as a center. You have to yeah. be more of like uh, someone who can create their own offense. I don't know if I see that from him, but I think uh, maybe top 40 or top 50, like a above average, like really quality, you know, starting center that makes $20 million a year, I mean, could be realistic. I don't know if that's, you know, the most likely outcome. And to answer the question about was I high on him coming in, not really. I mean, I had him close to, I think I had him like nine or eight on my board. But for the Warriors, he probably would have been a little bit higher just because of the the role that lobs play in their offense and always have like, you know, where you, you'll have Draymond with the ball and he's looking for Curry, but he's also a great passer. So if, if you do overcompensate, he's always able to throw those lobs to Looney or whoever it's been over the years. So I think for the Warriors, you know, 
he is a decent fit, but I mean, as far as top 20 player, I probably can't get there. Yeah, I can't get there. I just, I'm fascinated to see what he eventually becomes with this group. Um, NBA expansion. It's being floated around the $2.5 billion price tag. The NBA is looking for ways to make up lost revenue from this past season and from this upcoming season. Um, Seattle and Vegas are the obvious options. Um, Windhorse was the one who reported um, the price for the two new teams. Um, this would be like the $2.5 billion would be the biggest sale price for a professional sports team in uh, North American history. Uh, what do you make of expansion and do you want it? Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. I think there's enough good players for two more teams. I mean, especially, you know, every year with the drafts, it seems like more guys come in than guys retire because just the modern um, training practices and, and medical stuff seems like guys are able to last a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it's kind of like the NFL. It's like eventually there's going to be too many quarterbacks as to where there used to be like only 10 good ones. And now it's like, yeah, I mean, there's still 10 teams that maybe don't have a great quarterback or what have you. But with how long guys are playing into their late 30s and even early 40s in some cases in the NFL, I mean, you have the same thing with basketball. You have LeBron James at 36, Kevin Durant at 33, 34, whatever he is. I mean, you could still argue those are the two best players in the league when they're healthy um, if you really want to make that argument. It's something that can be talked about. So I think just as far as um, – from a talent perspective, I don't have any worry or really anything about, I mean, it might take a couple of years for those two teams to get rolling, but I, I don't see any issue with it. Um, the league needs the cash. So, you know, I'm fine with it. Is Vegas and Seattle the two places you want to see? Like, is there, or is there another outside option for you that you're more interested in? Well, Seattle's the, the very clear in a way, number one. I mean, they have they have a bigger fan base than some teams that have a team right now, so or some cities that have a team right now. So I think Seattle, the second you put a team there, uh, in a non-COVID world, they would be selling out games. I don't know, you know, if you're going to see a, a full capacity sellout. I don't know when you'll see that again in any league, but um, Seattle's the the obvious one that everyone wants to happen, that people have been just dying for, and then Vegas. I think, you know, they have the WNBA, they have the NFL now. I think society is kind of getting past that idea of, for whatever reason, they didn't want teams in Vegas because of the gambling presence. But I think it's becoming less of a worry with gambling being everywhere now. New York just uh, legalized it, I think, today. Yeah. So, like, it's really, I mean, you can gamble anywhere. So there's no real reason not to have an NBA team in Vegas I mean, obviously, whoever's in Vegas will want to warn their 19, 20-year-old rookies about the kind of things you could get into in a city like Las Vegas. But I think you could say that about a lot of cities across the country. So I don't have any problem with uh, – Las Vegas is the one where you'll get a little bit of pushback. People maybe not want a team there. I don't but, think they're uh, going to get it anymore. I think we No, I, I don't – Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so either. But uh, And I don't really have another place that I would say like – you know, would need a team more than Las Vegas. We'll see. Or, <laughs> I don't want to piss these two city franchises off, but I, I think the obvious answer, I, I would not expand. I'm always wary of expansion, but I understand the money aspect of it. Um, I also don't think it really matters for people like, Oh, the league is going to be more like more spread out more thin. And I'm like, well, it's already been thin. And there's all like, it doesn't matter if they're 30 or 32 in terms of like 
um, parity because it's just like, no, 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 no. Like the eight or nine guys that actually matter are still going to be the eight or nine guys that matter. Um, those other teams are still going to be screwed. It doesn't really like that. That doesn't really change to me. Um, I would just move new Orleans to Memphis. Like that's those markets are just crazy small or even OKC. You could one of those three, new Orleans for sure gone. Like I, that was just a disaster and I wouldn't have kept them there. But I also like, it's just an incredibly small market. And then you look at Memphis and that's a really, really small market too, that if you just move those two teams, like that's what I would do. They're not going to do it. And I think those fan bases are awesome and I'm not attacking them. I'm just saying that like, that was a bad move and especially keeping new Orleans there. I I don't, I just don't agree with. And the problem with new Orleans is the the same people that own the saints on the Pelicans. Right. So I don't, I don't know. I don't think the, as to where a lot of owners. Well, I'm also not saying that they're going to move them or that was an option. I'm just saying like that seems like a more, if I was the NBA czar, that's what I would have done. And I would apologize. Great fans. I'm sorry. I just, the market's too small in Seattle and Vegas are just so much bigger. Yeah, I mean, you're not. I think New Orleans Arena is like the contract is like 2024 or something. I mean, you're not the first person to hint that New Orleans might be a potential mover. But I think just the fact that you know the Bensons who own the Saints are not really worried about the money they lose on the Pelicans. Um, I don't know. I I like the expansion. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you could argue there's a better place for the Pelicans or the Grizzlies, but. Regardless, I think expansion is inevitable. I don't know that it'll ever go beyond 32, but I do. I don't have a problem with there being 16 teams in each conference and eight of those teams making the playoffs. I think that's that's how the NFL is. I mean, except you know, it's seven teams making the playoffs, but uh, in the NFL. But no, I, I don't have any issue with the expansion, and uh, I think it's inevitable. I mean, I don't know if they'll ever go beyond 32. I, I do agree where there is a certain point. But I think two more teams is doable, feasible. And like you said, I mean, it's not really going to do anything with the parity. There's going to be four or five teams to have a little legitimate chance at a title in any yep. given year. So it is what it is. And, you know, if the league needs the cash, Seattle's dying for a team. Uh, I think it's a win-win. You know, Seattle and Las Vegas can get a team without taking someone else's team. Because it's always sad when a team leaves a city, even if that city has kind of failed a franchise in a financial manner it's still sad for you know however many dedicated loyal fans they have it is sad for those people so i would say you know i'm good with it and uh it's gonna happen so it doesn't really matter if i'm good with it or not but fair fair um the raptors they're one in five a lot of people around the league are just just flummoxed by what's going on there um they were a team that i had as a big drop-off team like there's a variety of reasons maybe just playing in tampa not being at home um pascal just having an awful bubble experience and just uh i, I don't know i think uh, lauer being a year older og getting paid like there's all kinds of their bench just getting depleted for Van feet getting paid and then i like looked at the numbers and watching like what happened against the celtics the other night they're 29th in effective field goal percentage they're last in the league in field goal attempts uh that were twos in the league and they're first in threes three-point attempts they're just not hitting threes and pascal is not a league guy he's just miscast he's not that he's a number two probably a number three on a a real contender number two on a pseudo contender and then i don't know i think they're just not hitting shots they were hitting last year and their bench sucks and i i don't know i don't think this is a quick fix i i think 
some of those shots will fall, but I I think that's how I'd surmise like what's happening there is they're taking a lot of threes and they're fucking missing a shit ton. Yeah, I uh, I think losing Gasol and Ibaka is just killing them. I just from a chemistry standpoint, uh, having two centers like that. I mean, center is typically a weaker position for a lot of teams, especially you know having two centers that good is extremely rare. So. And, like, these guys aren't just getting rebounds and blocking shots. Like, Gasol initiates offense like you see with him doing on the Lakers. He makes guys like Siakam better. Uh, Ibaka, like like you're saying with the Clippers, I mean, he's just such a good complementary piece that is, just goes um, underrated. And I was worried about them coming in. I actually, uh, for Peace Street Hoops, there was a roundtable, and, like, it was kind of the premise of the question was, like, can the Hawks – break into the top six you know you have like the bucks celtics heat uh philadelphia toronto and i'm missing one that is like a lock to be oh the nets so like those tops those were like supposed to be a lock to be the top six and i think i said in the post um that i thought toronto could be a team they could get by because they lost their centers and while they did get aaron baines he's just not the same kind of facilitator that gasol is or really probably even abaca while he can um protect the rim and stretch the floor on the other end they're just really missing the continuity from last season and like i mean kyle lowry's been their best player and like i love kyle lowry he's awesome but he's 34 and he's a point guard um he's a small point guard so if he's well he's not tall he, he might not necessarily be small but um i just think you know that's a recipe I don't. I don't. I'm not worried about them in a sense of like they're gonna continue on this one and five pace. They've played some pretty good teams, and they've got a few new pieces. And Siakam's not gonna play this bad all season. So I still see see them as a playoff team. But I think they were some. They were a team that you know a lot of people were too high on coming in, and obviously that is uh, coming to fruition. Yeah, I wonder if they're gonna make a move. Do you think, like, Masai also sitting in the background because we don't know if he's going to be the Raptors executive uh, next year? Um, I wonder how much, like, that's going to affect what they end up doing if they still struggle for weeks on it. If you had to guesstimate what happens here, if they're still, let's say, like, mm, 5 and 15, what do you think Masai and this group does? I I don't know. The weird thing about them is they already got their championship, so they don't have the pressure of, like, some other teams like if the Celtics start five and 15 then like yeah they're gonna be like literally like trying to blow something up but they but don't I think, they, like I don't think they can like I don't think because Jalen Brown's just playing out of his absolute mind that like trading him I just don't think you can do it you can't he's just too good now and then the rest of their pieces suck like it, there's nothing they can really trade Marcus Smart's only what averaging like 12 a game and he's not shooting well like I don't I don't know I don't think the Celtics really have an option they might not. I mean, they they might just be like, you know, an above average team and not a great yeah. team. They just and I think, I, and I think that's probably the most likely thing to happen with Toronto is that they become like an above average team that's not that great. But if they were to just fall apart and you know look this bad for another couple of weeks, I think someone like Terrence Davis is a young guy that other teams might like. Um, yeah, off the field, off the court stuff. I don't know. People might not touch him. They might not, but I mean, he's he was pretty good last season, and I mean, he was. this season this season he's only playing ten minutes a game, but he is shooting forty two percent from three. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think they have pieces to where they could 
they could try. But, I mean, just the fact that they just extended Van Fleet, they just extended Siakam. I mean, Kyle Lowry's kind of like the natural guy for them to move on a financial, like he's yes. at the end of his deal, but he is going to have a statue probably. He's going <laughs> to have his num- He's going to have his number retired. So you send him uh, where he wants to go. You ask him, you're like, where would you be cool going? We're not going to yeah. send you where you don't want to go. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's something that could happen. And, I mean, he, he's the tech kind of guy where if, if he doesn't want to leave, you just can't move him. Yeah. I mean, you just – you owe it to him. So, I think it's the same to Jalen Brown. I really do. He's too good and admits – he just has been so good for that city and he's just such a good off-the-court guy. I, I don't know. Like, Brown is averaging like 20 – I think he's averaging 26.9. Yeah, Tatum's 26.3. Um I don't know. Like, there's n- the Celtics are weird because have you seen their their highest uh the like their most played lineup and how much they're getting destroyed? Yeah, I mean the Celtics have have issues for sure. They don't. Um, Who are you more worried about, the Celtics or the Raptors? Ah, uh, I mean, I don't think either one of them really have a path to the finals this year. So I yeah. guess. I don't know. I guess it depends what your expectations are, but I don't worry about either one of them really missing the playoffs in the East, but I also, it kind of looks like, at least at this point, I mean, I would say probably Toronto, because I think at least... I would Celtics agree. Have, I don't think they're making the playoffs. I think Toronto is just going to continue to get bad. I really do. Celtics at least have the, we don't have Kemba Walker excuse. Yeah. So. Well, I also just think Brown and Tatum are too good now. Like, those two are just, I think, what, is Brown shooting 50% from three? Like, he's shooting something close to that. Let me see. 42.9 and 58% from the field. Um, I mean, yeah, he's obviously going to cool down, but yeah. I, uh, I'm i surprised by Jalen Brown being at the point he is. But yeah, the smart Brown, Tatum, Tice, Thompson lineup that they were going to play for defensive reasons has been outscored 16 points per 100 possessions this season in 74 minutes. Um, the Heat. They're, we talked about them a little bit. I wanted to get your perspective on them because they're 26 in the NBA in offensive efficiency. Obviously, we know what's going on with Jimmy. Um, Tyler here has cooled off. Like, they're playing without... Like, they have weird options about Dragic in the starting lineup off the bench. Like, when you're watching them, like, Kelly Olenek being inserted into the lineup has been good this week. Um, and they're one against the Thunder. He was an, a, a godsend for them. They have that good rookie from uh, Memphis that uh, a lot of people like. But I... I don't know. Like the heat are kind of weird and I'm uh, people, I'm, I'm not worried about Jimmy and I'm never betting against Jimmy and this is more of a playoff team, but do you think there's any truth to the sentiment that seems to be uh, highly prevalent, prevalent around the league in that the heat were in the right situation in the bubble. And that was like built for this kind of culture and this kind of team. And that the offense is always going to struggle um, in this regard because of just the personnel that they currently have. I'm not really worried about the Heat. I actually think, you know, playing deep into the bubble, they're not like a superstar loaded team like the Lakers who can just kind of like cruise for three quarters and turn it on. So like while the Lakers, you know, went went just as deep into the bubble, they don't have to click on all cylinders to win. The Heat kind of do. But I also think, you know, I mean, people forget the Heat were a below 500 team on the road last season. Hmm. I mean, they weren't they weren't like a juggernaut during the regular season. Spo is just awesome. So, like, whenever you tell him he's going to be playing the same team seven times, he's going to outcoach a lot of other coaches. So, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Heat are back in the conference finals, even if they are the sixth seed. Um, Spoelstra just knows how to coach in the playoffs, and they're a good defensive team. I'm really not worried about the Heat at all. I think also they're the type of team where 
if they do realize they have a big hole on their team, they have a creative front office and they could be the kind of team that goes and gets a Kyle Lowry or someone. If I mean, if Kyle Lowry decides, you know, okay, this is not working in Toronto, I think they would be someone on his list also. So I would love Lowry in Miami. I don't know if the money could work. I don't know about. I haven't looked at all that, but I think just regardless of who's Lowry or someone else, I trust the Heat to put together a team that can compete late into the playoffs. I don't know if they have enough talent to get by the Bucks or the Nets this year, but I didn't think they would get by the Bucks last year. So I, I don't know. I'm not going to underestimate the Heat because I was one of the people that kind of did that last season. So yeah. I, I respect the fact that. They played more games than anyone else besides the Lakers, and there was literally like basically no off season. <laughs> yeah. So I think you just gotta. I didn't really think the Heat were gonna win that many games, but I still like think they can beat anyone in the playoffs. Because the Heat, like I said, they're they're gonna be like resting Jimmy and trying to stay healthy for like the first. I guess we only have the first half of the schedule right now, anyways. And then once we get to that second half of the schedule, that's kind of when I expect them to get like really serious about looking like a playoff team i think right now they're like a lot of teams they're just trying to put things together and they're not like really like playing every game as if they have to win they're like tinkering with things and you you mentioned the offensive efficiency hasn't quite been there i think i mean robinson has been shooting great hero i mean he's been up and down but I mean, they maybe need to add a shooter, but I, like I said, I trust that front office to uh, to keep them competitive. Yeah. Um. Last thing, and we'll wrap up here. Uh, the T Wolves. They've lost five straight. Ricky Rubio's already talked shit about this group. Um, I, I was, I, I knew they were bad, but then I looked at their net ratings. So they're 113.2 per 100 possessions on defense, 103.6 on offense. I thought the offense would be a lot better, and I figured the defense would be bad. Um, Ryan Saunders, I this dude's getting fired, right? Like this, this group is just not a hot, good collection of assets. I don't love the fit when I watch them. It's just none of. I don't like anything about the Timberwolves right now. Are are you? Are you with me on that? Like, there's nothing I like about watching them. I don't like the collection. I don't like how they play together. I nothing about the Timberwolves screams. Yeah, this will turn around. Well, Carl Anthony Towns has only played two games, so yeah. I think it it is tough to put it all on the coach. But I kind of think that they're like tanking. I mean, in a way, like if you look at their roster, they really didn't put any complimentary pieces. Like. They didn't go out. Like they paid Malik, Be- Malik Beasley way too much. They That was really like their only move to put guys around Russell and uh, Towns. And then they got Rubio. I should put that in there also. But Rubio is the kind of guy that he needs like players around him to play well. He, he's not going to go score 30 points. So I really just expected them to be really bad, like among the worst teams in the league. So like I, I don't know. Like I'm not really any more down on them than I was. Um, Ryan Saunders might not be the coach long term but I think I mean you have so many young guys on this team so many guys who are questionable NBA rotation players and then one thing I really do love about their I love about them or I guess just one guy but I think Anthony Edwards has been pretty good I mean as far as like you wanted to make sure you know if you take him number one you want to see the explosiveness you want to see what he does with the NBA spacing. And I think he does look better than he did at Georgia. I mean, he has 
space to operate. And when he does have the space, he's, he's a really tough cover. I mean, he's most people guarding him. He's going to be stronger and faster than whoever's guarding him. So I think he's able to create advantages. He's been able to shoot the ball a little bit. But, I mean, as far as on-court success for this team, uh, I'm not expecting it. And it won't ex- it won't surprise me in the least if, uh, if Towns is trying to get out of there. But I'm also, like, really low on D'Angelo Russell overall. Like, I've never uh, thought he deserved the contract that he got um, whenever the Warriors got him. I think the Warriors kind of just did that because they wanted to have, like, a big contract they could trade because they were so far over the cap. And he was like, they got him in the Durant trade and they were allowed to pay him. And that was kind of the way they were able to add another big contract. Now they added Wiggins, which you obviously see that how that's working out. But you love Andrew Wiggins. No, I'm, I, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't think uh, he's just like not good. I don't know. Like, and D'Angelo Russell is better than Andrew Wiggins, but he is horrible on defense carl anthony towns is not good on defense anthony edwards only plays on ball defense right now he doesn't even play off ball defense he basically just stands there and that's the biggest uh critique people had on him coming in is that he's kind of like when he doesn't have the ball he and when he's not guarding the ball he like doesn't really do anything so i think the timberwolves are a team who's going to be in contention for the number one pick and that's not the worst thing for them. I mean, if they end up with Cade Cunningham and Anthony Edwards as their backcourt of the future, then you bring in a new coach. If Carl Anthony Towns wants to leave, you get a haul for him. And, you know, I mean, I think there could be worse things. There's more there's more promise on this roster than you see out on the court. I'll put it that way. Fair. All right, we will leave it there, Zach. Is there anything you would like to plug as we wrap up here today? Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, like you said, you know, I write at Peace Street Hoops, PeacetreeHoops.com. That's Atlanta Hawks coverage for anyone who's interested in that. You can follow my personal Twitter account at ZHood underscore. And then I also host a podcast uh, called Hawks Film Room. It's just a Hawks podcast. You can find that at Hawks Film Room on Twitter or on Apple or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. But again, just appreciate you having me on. Uh, I had a good time. And um, just thank you. We'll be back, man. Two Atlanta guys. I, I like yeah. it. I like it. Um, all right, buddy. Well, go do all that. Keep up the great work, my friend. And uh, we'll we'll do this again soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard. Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.